Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about the three wise men. Uh, the goal, of course, in our Mythbuster series is not to um, minimize the Christmas story. How many of you love Christmas? Yeah, me too. So we don't want to minimize that. I don't want you walking out of here every day, every Sunday, kind of going, oh, I get it. So, like, the Christmas story doesn't even matter. No, it matters. It's a great story. Um, we just want to maybe show where some of the stuff that we've always thought was real might not actually be real and how the Christmas story is even better because of it, okay? So hang with me. We're not trying to disrespect the story of Jesus or anything like that. This morning we're looking at three myths related to the three wise men. Here we go. Myth number one. They were kings. We've um, sung the song a million times, We Three Kings of Orient Are. And so I kind of got to thinking, um, what exactly was a magi? Because that's what these guys were called. So were they kings? They weren't kings at all. They were, um, according to Acts 13, 6 and 8, it's actually the word for sorcerer is what the three wise men were, the three kings. Um, they were known to have power. They were put in positions of leadership, but they were most likely not kings. They believed in the worship of fire, water, earth, and air. So where did they come from? Because we sing, you know, we three kings from Orient. Are, and I, I don't know how you are, but when I hear the word Orient, I think of countries like China, Japan. So last night, I got onto Google Maps. I was just curious, how long would it take a guy to get from Japan to Bethlehem? Go home today, go to Google Maps, type in... Japan, Bethlehem, Israel, and Google Maps will say that it cannot calculate the directions from one to the other. They didn't come from China. They didn't come from Japan. They most likely came from our, our current country, Iran. That's where they came from. They, they didn't come from the Orient. The word Orient just meant East. So when you sing, we three kings of Orient, it just meant, hey, three guys from the East were coming to Bethlehem. Where, what did they come to do? Matthew 2, 2. You can turn there. We're going to be in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. In the second verse of Matthew 2, it says this. They asked Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. They clearly stated their purpose. It was to find and worship the king of Jews. Now, a real quick history lesson, okay? These guys in that day, they're from Persia, which today is Iran. So they're from Persia. Now, the people of Persia, they got along really, really well with the Jewish people. They did not get along well with Roman people. And so these guys were all too happy to come and find a king of the Jews. And they were really happy to go to Herod, who was on the Roman side, and say, Look, we came to find the guy born king of the Jews. Because they knew that would just tick him off. And it, and it did. The bottom line of their mission was they, they wanted to replace Herod. He had come into his kingship through bribery, and they wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to put somebody in who would be a friend to them. But because their timing and their motives did not line up with God, and can't we all relate to that? I mean, haven't you wanted certain things to happen in your life, and the timing just didn't line up with God's? The motive most definitely did not line up with God's. God orchestrated the whole event to make sure that Herod never got to Jesus. 
And he sent them home a different way. So here's the bottom line. They, they, the myth is that they were kings. The truth is that they were seeking a king. And the application to us is that wise men always seek someone greater. Let me ask you this. How many of you have been in a position of leadership? You actually hold power over somebody else. It's a great feeling, isn't it? Sometimes when we become, we put, get put into positions of leadership and of power, we start to feel like we are all that. Herod was that way. He thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm the man. And so when these three guys came from Persia seeking somebody else that was born king of the Jews, Herod got a little bit nervous because he had power to lose. Wise men are always seeking someone greater. These three guys were seeking someone greater. They knew that they weren't the bottom line. They weren't the last people on earth with all the power, all the answers. So they said, hey, we want to come and find somebody that's greater than us. Their search, it says in verse 3, not only did it disturb Herod, but it disturbed Jerusalem as well. So let me just tell you this. I believe that here at the gathering, not just at this church, but in churches all around our county, I believe that there are people who are actually wise enough to seek a power, a God greater than who we are. And when that happens, guess what's going to take place in our city? It's going to disturb a lot of people. They don't always like it when you start looking for somebody greater than you because it reminds them that they're not the greatest thing ever. And we like that, don't we? Don't you like to go to somebody who's full of themselves and remind them that they're not the best thing God ever created? Oh, no, you're not nearly as good as you think you are, and I've got proof. Here, look at that, you know? We like to do that. We like to kind of bring people down a couple notches. Wise men humble themselves. They don't have to be humbled. Search anyway. Even though you know that people around you will be uncomfortable, even though you know that people will do whatever they can to stop the king from ruling your life and theirs, search anyway. God can protect you from the ones who try to stop you. Verses 12 to 15 of chapter 2 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother. Escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. God can orchestrate events to protect you as you search for something greater than you, someone greater than you. Many of you, man, what I love getting to know about you is that you are searching. You are wise. You're looking for something greater than you, someone greater than you. You are, some of you are pain-filled where in your lives, man, you cannot solve the problems that you have. And you're just like these wise men. i got to find this person who's the king of the Jews. And everybody in your life is looking at you like, would you stop searching? You're driving me nuts. We're good. Quit looking. And you can't stop. Don't stop. Second myth. They saw baby Jesus in a stable. It probably does not matter how many Christmas cards you've seen. Um, the wise men did not see baby Jesus 
in a stable. According to scriptures, he was probably not even a baby when they finally did see him. Matthew chapter 2 verse 7 says this. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. See, the wise men, because they worshipped air, the elements, man, they were always checking out the stars. They were the people that had bought the app from the app store that you can hold up to the sky and it tells you what constellation you're looking at. And I don't have the app because I'm too cheap to buy it, but apparently if you point it down, it will tell you the constellations that people in China see, which is pretty cool. If anybody wants to buy it for me so I can see if it's true, that's fine. <laughs> they were always searching the signs. They were actually more aware of what was going on around them than the very religious people who knew the prophecies about the king coming. They were always searching. They were always looking. So they, when Herod found them, he asked them, when was the exact time? Now, guys, um, it's amazing to me that three men in the Bible could say the exact anything. Right? Because usually that's the woman's job. She knows everything. She knows what you were wearing the first time you had a fight. She knows what you were wearing the first time that you forgot to come on time to pick her up. She remembers everything. Uh, we got married somewhere a long time ago. But Wendy can tell you exactly when we got married, when we got married, what time of day it was. She knows when the kids were born, the whole deal. But these jokers, they knew the exact time that they saw that star. And it says later on in the story that Herod, verse 16, when he realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious because kings don't like to be outwitted by anybody. And so he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. What does that mean? It means that when they finally saw Jesus, he was... Somewhere around two years old. Because he made sure that he was going to kill Jesus by killing all the babies, boys that were two years old and younger. Now, more than likely, he wasn't two. He probably was like a year, year and a half. And Herod just, you know, gave himself a little bit of a buffer to make sure. <laughs> he, thankfully, he didn't go higher. And I've always read this. Just something to jot down. I've always read this and thought, what would happen if you killed every boy in Albemarle and Stanley County two years old and younger? That would be a pretty high number, wouldn't it? And I've always read that like, man, that's a lot of kids. The truth of the matter is, Bethlehem was a very small town, maybe around 2,000 people, and so the actual number of boys is about 20 that died there. Not that any number is good, right? Just interesting. It's a lot lower than I would have thought, which shows all the more reason why it was important that God warned them in a dream to take Jesus to Egypt, because when you're only killing 20 kids, there's nowhere to hide. And so God made absolutely sure. Do you see how God made sure that his Messiah, the, the, his son sent to save us from our sins, could not be stopped until he accomplished the mission, which was our salvation? So they saw baby Jesus in a stable as a myth. The truth is they saw little Jesus in a house. And here's the bottom line. Sometimes the search for a Savior can take a lot longer than we hope or we plan. Here's the application for our lives. Wise men are committed to the search. I want to make sure you get this. 
They know that the end result is worth any amount of trouble. It's a lot like Christmas shopping, isn't it? I mean, when you don't take the time to find the perfect gift, you wrap it in a brown paper bag. And you go, here. And you just sit back and drink your coffee while they rip that bag open. You're not even really paying attention. But tell me this isn't the truth. When you have gone to Concord Mills three or four times, stood in the crowd, waited, found the perfect gift, you wrap it carefully, and when you hand it to them, you make sure that the video cameras are rolling. You edit that video. You send it to everybody you know. You take great care. See, sometimes it's the search that makes us value the gift even more. They knew that it was worth any amount of trouble to get to the end result. When you found the perfect gift, it doesn't come easy, but it's always worth it. And I can say that from experience because I think once I found the perfect gift and it was a blast giving it. Here's the value of our offering. The value of our offering is always proportionate to our commitment to the search. I'm going to say that one more time. The value of your offering is proportionate to the commitment to the search. If you're not committed to the search, when these guys got to Jesus after two years of searching, do you think that they just kind of walked in and went, oh, hey, no. The Bible says they came and they presented gifts. They presented valuable gifts. Why? Because they had just spent two years of their life searching for this king. Sometimes when it comes so easy, we don't appreciate it. But when you've searched, when you've given your time, your energy, when you've put everything you have, when you're all in, your gifts become more valuable to Jesus. Maybe this is too personal to ask, but what do you give Jesus? A dollar, five minutes. I think when we can give that to Jesus, it says a lot about maybe how uncommitted we are to the search. What did they give him? They gave him gold for royalty. They gave him incense, which was used in worship. They gave him myrrh, which was used to prepare people for burial. I don't know how much... Of each they gave, we don't know, can't put a dollar amount on it, but we do know this, in that day and time, those were rare gifts. And here's what I want you to really grab. I hope I can say this right. Sometimes we kind of journey, right, haphazardly with Jesus, and then when we find him, we go, oh, there's Jesus. That's amazing. I was going to give you a dollar, but now I'll give you ten. We kind of determine how much value we want to give. I was going to give you a part of my life, but now I'll give you all of my life. We might decide to give him more at the end game. What I want you to understand about the wise men is they packed those gifts before they ever saw Jesus. They determined Jesus is worth it all before they ever even saw him. What does that mean for you and I? Are we willing to say that? I'm all in with you before I ever even see the end? That's a tough question. The wise men were. Myth number three. There were three wise men. 
And the truth is what we just talked about. There were three gifts given by the three wise men. Let me just ask the obvious question. Why are we so quick to fill in unknown things with something concrete and manageable? If the Bible doesn't say how many wise men sought Jesus, why do we say that? Do you know that historically in Persia, when they talked about Magi, it meant 12? And so I'm, I'm going to just go out on a limb here because I ask myself these kind of questions. So if, if historically they talk about Magi, that meant there were 12. Where do we come up with three? Is it just because there were three gifts mentioned in the Bible? Or is it possible that the first person who drew a Christmas card couldn't fit all the wise men on there? And so he just went, we'll just make sure there's three so that each one can hold a gift. And that asks, gets me to ask another question. Do we only count the people who appear gifted? We do, don't we? We do the exact same thing. We only count, we look around the room, we go, well, well Phil counts because he can play the guitar. Jennifer definitely counts because she's killing the vocals on those songs. Some weeks Paul counts because some weeks he's good. But there are so many people that don't, we don't count them because we can't see that they have a gift. And when we start to number who has a gift and who doesn't, we start leaving people out. So it's possible that when the wise men finally got to see Jesus in a house, it's possible that there were nine more there with them that didn't get on the Christmas card because they didn't carry a gift. God, we do the same thing. Romans 9.21, turn it real quickly. Or just jot it down if you don't have a Bible. Romans 9.21. says this. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use. It's clear from that verse that we all have a different purpose, right? I mean, all of us are a part of the body of Christ. <laughs> some of you are the face because you're so beautiful. And some, like me, are the armpit for whatever reason. I mean, fill in whatever body part you are. Some of you are the part behind the knee, right? Some of you are between the toes. Some of you are the toenail when it's painted. We've all got a part to play. This, this verse is clear that some of the parts, they are actually more noble. They are more noticeable, right? I mean, I don't think a lot of you walk around during the day going, dude, check out my armpit hair. Right? I mean, there are certain parts of the body that's good to keep covered. But there's other parts that we like to show. The moneymaker, right? See, what happens is we start to say, well, if it's noble, we count it. And if it's not noble, we don't. And what, what happens is you have a whole fragmented body of Christ, of people who we say, yeah, they're gifted. They count and, uh, well, sorry, you can come and attend, but it's about all you get. 
But this verse says, even though we have different purposes, we all have the same value. And why is that? Because we're all made by the same creator. Because the same potter made every one of those pots, even the ones that have a common use. The question is this. What makes you wise isn't the gift you have or don't have. It's what you do with it when you see Jesus. Matthew 2.11 says what they did, what the wise men did when they saw Jesus. And they walked into the house. It says that they saw the baby Jesus. They bowed down. They worshipped him. And they gave him their gifts. So they see Jesus. They bow down, which means they humbled themselves. They worshipped him, which means they exalted him, and they gave him gifts. They placed value on a king at a cost to themselves. What's the best gift you can give Jesus this year for Christmas? What do you give the king who has everything? You give him you. Let's go even further. What do you give the king who has everything? You give him the parts of you that you don't want to give him. Because we all want to give Jesus ourselves on a good day, right? Um, Jesus, I want you to have me today because I did not yell at my kids. But what he really wants is you on the bad day. He wants your sin. He wants your brokenness. What do you give the king that has everything? You give him your sin. Bottom line, anybody... Anybody can give Jesus their gifts. Anybody can be a wise man. Anybody can see the king of kings and bow down and worship and give gifts. Now, we'll talk more about this next week. um, Next week, we're going to blow open the myth about the innkeeper. It's going to be fun. Someone's going to get messy. It's going to be great. Come back anyway, even though I said that. I don't want you to be afraid. We won't make you get messy. But here's the questions for today. The only thing that can make you wise is what you do when you see Jesus. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you bow in humility or stand in defiance? Do you worship him as king or do you demand from him as a butler? Do you give what you have, great or small, even at a great cost to yourself? And if you do, then the truth of the matter is, you cause the number of wise men to grow way past three. Here's the application of this. Wise men still give gifts to the king. They still give gifts to the king. They still search for him. And when they find him, they give gifts to him. What do you have to give? And are you willing to give it? Will you bow before the king or will you stand like this? No, I ain't bowing. Do you worship and what is worship? I think about this every week when we're in here. Because I, I love to just hear you guys sing. And I even love it when you don't sing. I mean, I hate it for Phil because Phil and Jen are up here. They're just, you know, it's always uncomfortable when you're playing guitar. And then you open your eyes and everybody's just staring at you. 
It's always a little bit weird, but how many of you, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but it is a little bit uncomfortable in here when we worship. We're not quite sure what to do, you know? I, I love it when we just, worship is not about music, it's not about singing. Worship's about the heart, saying to God, I mean, you are more exalted than me. You are greater than I am. I am going to give you that place. I'm going to exalt you to that place because you're God and I'm not. And that's what the wise men did. They saw him even as a child and they recognized he is someone greater than me. It's what they set out to, see, to search for. And they fell down and they worshiped. And what we want to see happening here today when we close this, this morning with communion, do you know what we're doing in communion? We're saying to God, you are greater than I am. The sacrifice you paid was greater than any sacrifice I could ever pay. You came and saved me from my sins. And now, here, I'm going to bow myself before you. I'm going to humble. I'm going to take the bread. I'm going to take the juice. And I'm going to eat this. And I'm going to remember the sacrifice that you made for me. That's what communion is all about. Just to bow your head for a moment. And let's begin to prepare our hearts.